Oh, yeah, wait. Do we have... Uh, Alice, did, did you say we can take the headphones off? Oh, okay. All right. Um, okay. Okay, cool. Taking yours off? Yeah, there. yeah. Naked? Yeah, because otherwise then you're going to... Wait. I quite like it with one on. I look more professional with one on. Let's keep one on. Well, that's what I said. Okay, yeah. It, uh, yeah. Um, okay, the lid's on. Okay. Okay. Oh, moisten the throat. <clears throat> the the um, instrument. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Really Good Exposure, the podcast that I have inadvertently been researching my entire life. So I got the role of Katie Fitch in the Channel 4 drama Skins when I was 16 and since then I have had just about every job you could possibly imagine. From being a nanny, a bartender and a stripper to being that security guard who had to climb over the cubicle you'd locked yourself in when you passed out in a pile of your own sick after one too many red wines at a UB40 concert. I hope that this podcast can help others who might feel like they relate in some way to my life experience to feel less alone. And if nothing else, I hope that the podcast will teach you some of the life lessons that myself and my guests learnt the hard way so that you don't have to. I have been thinking recently about my acting career and my life pre-ADHD and autism diagnosis and I can't help but think how much it must have affected me in terms of acting, auditions, like going into strange places, doing new things, not being able to know in advance exactly what everything was going to be like Um, and I really want to talk about it on the podcast because I think it must affect so many people. I think there is a huge amount of undiagnosed women out there with ADHD and or autism. Um, So today I wanted to bring on somebody who... I spend a lot of time with. Um, I have known her for 14 years, unfortunately, and um, I know that she recently got diagnosed with ADHD. I got diagnosed with ADHD like a year and a half ago now, and last year I got diagnosed with autism. And not to toot my own horn, but the reason this person got diagnosed is because I lightly suggested that they should maybe pursue it (laughs) Um, in the nicest way possible. Um, So today I'm going to be speaking with my roommate, friend and lover. (laughs) She's going to hate me for saying that. Um, Lily Loveless. Um, So I hope you enjoy the conversation. Um, We've known each other for a very long time, so it's kind of no filter, no holds barred. No bar, no holds barred, no bars up, no bars. I don't know that expression. It's a great conversation. Um, You're in for a treat. I'll say it, and then if we need to remove it afterwards, we can. So I'm Megan fucking Prescott. Who the fuck are you? I'm Lily fucking Loveless. Okay. More? (laughs) Um, Lily, tell us how you would describe yourself, what you do for work. So I am an actress and screenwriter um, in TV, uh, a little bit of film, a little bit of theatre, um, yeah, just an all-round entertainer. Fantastic. <laughs> um, 
And we've got a segment called A Day in the Life, which is just a bit about, I, as a creative freelancer, (laughs) I am, as a neurodiverse creative freelancer, Mm. I'm always a bit like, I don't understand how other people do, like, how did people do this? How are they, now I've got a bit more of an idea, but like before I was like, I just, how do you do it? Like, how do you do what? What does your day look like? How do you structure your day? Like, a lot of careers have a very clear trajectory and it's, you do this and then if you do it well, you get to this stage. And if you do that well, you get to this stage. Creative freelancing, not so much. Um, I know that the nature of our jobs means we don't really have average days. Yeah. Um, But tell us about like a good day in your life like kind of average day in your life okay so you're right like all my all my days are different there's no sort of two days the same really um but I would say so a good day for me would be getting up relatively early (laughs) I'm not saying anything (laughs) listen there's body clocks and people can't help if they're night people and I can't help it I should say at this point, I'm sure I will have said it in the intro, but me and Lily live together. <laughs> Meg knows nothing about my life. <laughs> carry on, carry on. Um, so yeah, I would get up, try and get out of the house for a morning walk um, to sort of just get my brain running um, home um, and to my desk where I will usually be working on more than one writing project at a time so I'll usually split the day into two and I'll do the morning until lunch on one project eat some lunch scroll through Instagram for far too long um probably hang my head out of the front window for a while and see what's going on out there um and then back to my desk to work on um whatever else needs working on for the day Mm -hmm. because uh, working on one thing for a full working day is is um is hard but also I do finish my days quite late I would say because you get up and out really early Mm. so you come home at a normal time but I'm still working yeah because I I also get up early just not as early (laughs) you don't know what's going on in my room I'll be knocking on your door at 7.30 do you remember when I asked you to do that I know but I feel because I feel guilty I'm like she isn't up and like also I'm like I don't every no one likes their alarm clock and we're friends so like I don't want to be your alarm clock because you will end up hating me yeah and it's a lot of pressure on you to be fair the sound of um, my voice will irritate you even more than it maybe already does if it's saying well if you if you're worried about me hating you for waking me up you could always wake me up with a cup of tea fuck off (laughs) who wouldn't want that yeah. Good morning, darling. Yeah. Here's your Earl Grey with a bit of... Yeah, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, that would... I have to get up early, otherwise I'm like, I, I won't... It, I, it, I, I, I get the best work done from literally 8am to midday. That's and then mental. After that, my brain is like, oh, well, it's midday, which means it's nearly like three o'clock, which means it's nearly six o'clock, which means it's the end of the day. So there's no point doing anything because you failed today. Like, that's what my brain does. So I get that because I did have a phase of um, getting up super, super early, going swimming with my best friend at London Fields Lido at like literally, like I get up at 5am, go swimming and go straight to the library to work yeah because um you have to get there early to make sure you get a good seat Mm. 
this is the thing. When you're like us, it is so hard to get out of the house unless you have a direct consequence of not being somewhere at a certain time. Mm. Mm. Now for me, I'm like so, well, not anymore, but I would be so like negative towards myself if I didn't do it. That I'd be like, no, because if I don't get out, the feeling of guilt when I get home of like not doing like a full day's work, that's not a healthy way to be. So this, I'm not suggesting this is a good idea, but um, yeah, it would be like, just feel pure guilt if I didn't get out. Yeah, but it's hard for freelancers because you never feel like you've done enough work and you never take breaks and you never take holidays because you don't know when the next job is coming so you can't ever stop yeah and that's the thing i i found this meme that it was like oh i decided i didn't want to do a nine-to-five job so i became a freelancer and now i work 24 7 like it's there is no clock out time but because of that people think well it's fine i can work whenever i want Mm. but that's like yeah all right but you also need to have weekends and evenings Mm -hmm. which i we don't i don't often take which is not work on on the weekend i feel guilty yeah if i watch three episodes or something in bed on a sunday morning i'm like "Mm, i wonder how much work i could have done Mm. in that amount of time Mm. I actually work better. I work best when other people aren't working. So I, because I feel like there's less pressure on me oh, really? to work. So like Sat- Saturdays and Sundays and bank holiday. Bank holidays annoying though because nobody else is working, so no one gets back to your emails. Mm. That's annoying. But normally on Saturdays and Sundays, I'm like, oh, I don't have to work, so there's no pressure. So I work better, mm. and I feel like I'm like getting ahead. But then in the week, I then need to remind myself that I didn't take a weekend or even one day off so I need to take a day off in the week Mm -hmm. and then you get those irritating fuckers with regular nine to five jobs who'll be like oh it's all right for some oh (laughs) Tuesday off oh must be nice my when I was working um I had a desk at this like freelance office for a while um and I would get there for like 10 a.m this is my desk no one's gonna be sitting there and I would work until seven. And my stepdad said, cause I was, I'd been working really, really hard. I'd had my first commission for a script and I was on the verge of nervous breakdown while writing this pilot episode because it's so much pressure. Mm-hmm. Luckily, the amazing women that I was working with, I rang them up like on the verge of tears and they were like, look, if you don't have this phone call with us, that means you're not working. You're, 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 Every single writer, new writer, has this breakdown moment when they're on their first project. Going, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. It's too much, it's too hard, I'm not smart enough. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I was going through that. Took up smoking again since the age of whenever, because mm-hmm. it was so stressful. And uh, I was going out to work, I think, one morning, and I was, I saw my stepdad, and he was like... Oh, you start pretty late though, don't you? And I was like, I, I will kill you. Mm, my blood is boiling. Honestly, <laughs> I will kill you. Yes, I'm getting there for ten, but that makes no difference in the amount of work I'm doing no. today. And also, the other annoying thing is people being like, "Oh, always on your phone." <laughs> Always on your phone, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah, I'm. you know what phones can do nowadays? Basically, almost everything a computer can do. So, no, I'm not I'm not just, well, sometimes I am just, like, texting, fannying around. But most of the time, I'm replying to emails. Mm-hmm. I'm, like, getting back to messages on OnlyFans. I'm doing things that I'm like, oh, I've got a couple of minutes here, do some work. Got a couple of minutes here, do some work. Like, In conclusion, 
We are the hardest working people. <laughs> I think so. Maybe not the hardest working, but we complain a lot already. No, it's just because we are incredibly hard done by. and We're really um, hard done by and we're <coughs> tired and uh, we want to go on holiday and not work while we're on the holiday. So a lot of people, I assume, will think we met on the set of Skins. But that's actually not true. We met a few years before Skins. Mm-hmm. And tell, tell us a little bit about how we met. <laughs> so I met Meg and her twin sister Kat at a Saturday drama class in North London, in Wood Green, to be specific, um, called Mountview, which is, which is a really good drama school. And they have like this sort of youth Saturday drama classes uh thing that they do and we were in the same class i did a you and cat were in the same me class and Kat, but we were in the same class for for like a bit. maybe at the end we were lily you actually terrified me quite long you terrified um, me are you joking i was literally about to say that and then i didn't say it because so I didn't weird you. this is why this is how your face looked every single saturday yeah for people listening her face it was a screw face do it to the camera resting bitch face <laughs> I have had that um I have had that feedback before about my face. Um so have I to be fair. But But yours more so. Yeah, it's from my nan. My nan has this like stare, which she's like this lovely old lady, but she if she if she's not thinking of anything and really not engaged in anything, she'll be like like scowling. The nan that calls you Meggy. No, no, oh. the the other nan. Oh. No, so um, I got my rich resting bitch face from her. Um, Why did I terrify you? Probably for the same reason, but we, I feel like as we, women are often, the patriarchy doesn't want women to get on because if we chat and we get along, we'll realise that like we could do the shit better than they could. Mm-hmm. So they've got to separate the women. So we are raised to believe that other women are our competition and we hate each other and they're a threat and they're mm-hmm. going to steal our partners and all this shit. So that I was still in the age, how old was I, like 12 or th- twelve or 13? And I was like... I think I was about 14, 15. Yeah. Because it was so, like for two years. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I Wait, remember... you're not that much younger than me. Excuse me. <laughs> I can't actually remember my age. What well, now? Now? <laughs> I had to turn around the other day and ask someone who I'm very close to how old I actually was before I told someone. Because how? I forgot I'm 32 now. 32. Well, we're only, okay, it's so we're only like one year apart now. Yeah, well, we've always only ever been one year apart. No, it's changed. <laughs> I, I've caught up to you. Well, you'll be older than me soon. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so I think I just was... I, I don't know. I wasn't very good at going into new situations either. But, and I just was like, everyone hates me. Can you like, imagine doing that now? You had cat. I know. The that's what I was going to say. Joining a fucking drama mm. class now with a bunch of people I didn't know where I'd be standing up and performing mm. in front of straight. Like, I cannot imagine anything worse. What was uh, I doing? Yeah. You know, they made, well, they didn't make us, but I think it was good. But that part of the classes when, when we weren't in the same class was my teacher made us each do like a little stand-up bit, like stand-up comedy. No. And I was, I remember I was, must have been, yeah, it was early on. So I must have been 12 or 13. And I remember I 
got like one laugh and I was like oh my god this is like crack like uh, like this approval and this um validation from people's laughter yeah I'm oh I'm trying to remember my jokes were awful but it was something along the lines of when when security guards follow you in um in cosmetics shops and like how I like to to make them do a little trip around the whole shop with me I can't remember but I remember at the time I was like this is hilarious and then yeah um but yeah so that's how we met and then we weren't like close we weren't friends no but I I didn't hate you I did do a Greek tragedy with Kat yeah we did perform, and that always bonds an- people. Antigone over the over the Greek tragedy classic, Antigone, um, which I'm sure you came to see. Oh, and Kat had been at a party the night before dressed as a Smurf, <laughs> and <laughs> she she couldn't get the blue paint off of her skin, and she was playing the part of Antigone, and she was blue. <laughs> Oh, no. My God, that memory is just like zoomed back into my brain. I remember the pictures of her at that party. I didn't realize she did Antigone well, she the tried, day after. Yeah, she did it the morning after and she tried to scrub it off her skin. So she wasn't like a solid block blue. of blue, but she was very blue tinged. Like patchy blue. <laughs> like just looked bruised. frozen gonna die blue. Oh no. Yeah. Mm. Um. So wait, so that's, yeah. So we weren't like, we weren't close no. and then we went for did we we stopped yeah we stopped going to the classes yep. right and then years later me and my sister got we had a small agent and they were like don't know if you've ever heard of this show skins and we were like oh my god we've watched the first season oh my god we're like huge fans what 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 do they want what do they want and they were like well they like might be looking for twins blah blah and i was like oh, yes great 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 <laughs> And this was after me and Kat saying, like, we don't want to do the whole twin thing with acting. Like, we want to do our own thing. We thought the twin thing was stupid. But then we were like, did not going to pass up this this opportunity. Yeah, no, that would be... Also, the script that we, not like, the size we read for Skins, it was very like, oh, okay, cool. We're not going to be, like, best buddy, like, just direct copies of each other twins. Yeah, very, we have our own. different characters. Yeah. Not that we would have said no to the part if it was. Um, but, so so we went up and then, by the time I met you, I, I saw you in, we had so many stages of audition because we- I didn't. No, me and Catherine got, got went to one audition. Uh-huh. It was in Warren Street. And I remember going to the At audition. The it must have been. Mm. But I remember we went to a prep um, <laughs> nearby <laughs> and we sat in there and I could see like loads of sets of twins walking around Warren Street. And I was like, oh, oh my God, imagine if you were just like a normal person on this day and you're like, what is going on? Am I, is it, what is wrong with me? I'm seeing two people every, that's crazy to see one set of, to see two set of twins in like a short space of time is like crazy. To see like seven sets of twins walking around you just on your way to work. I was like, wow, these people should have been warned or something. Wasn't that the day that you walked past that building site and one of the blokes was like, twins. Quite, quite possibly. When you are and a you woman, and you were like sixteen. Yeah. Yeah. When you're a woman and you're a twin, mm. there's something that is. It's undeniably it's sexy. Un- <laughs> it's that it's impossible to keep your mouth shut as a man. If and 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 even if you can't think of anything worthwhile saying, even if it doesn't even quite make a sentence, mm. even if it's just 
the word repeating wins. what you've seen uh. it's worth doing uh if you yeah um so yeah so we were twins walking on warren street being shouted at by men and um <laughs> we went in and we i've told the story before but not on my own terms um but we <laughs> we got asked to do like an improv situation and um the casting director was like okay so uh Catherine has been broken up with and she's very sad and megan you are a bit sad because you're sad for your sister um but also you don't have too much sympathy because you didn't like the guy and like literally that very thing had happened a few weeks prior and like i was the like right, the right way around. yes yes and i was like shit okay and we had also at this point lied and said we were identical twins because mm. we were like, my whole life people have been like, no, but you are identical, but you are. Like thinking it's like a um, an opinion thing. Like, oh no, if you look really similar, you are identical. And I've spent my whole life being like, no, no, no. Actually identical or non-identical is a scientific mm. thing. So so it's not your, it's not whether you think I look like her. So we were like, all right, well, people think we're identical anyway. Let's just take it, make it to our advantage. Um, and... Um, yeah, so I digress. Um, we <laughs> we did that, and we and they were like, "Great!" Like my agent rang me and was like, "You know, the the creator loves you." I don't know if my agent was lying or whatever, but he, he might have been telling the truth. He was like, "The creator loves you. He doesn't want to see any other twins." Like blah 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 blah. And I was like, "Okay, I think you're blowing smoke up my ass, but fine." Um, and as a young actor who had never done like a proper job before, I didn't know the whole thing of like, "Hey." Don't tell everyone until you definitely have mm. the job. Yeah. So, of course, I told everybody that, like, oh, my God, like, we basically have it. Like, we basically have it. Like, oh he really liked us, so we basically have it. And then from the time we told everyone to the time we actually officially signed the paper was six months. So by the four-month mark, I was like, you idiot like mm. why did you tell people this? Like, it was a good life lesson. I mean, you've disproved my theory, though. What? Well, when you tell people I never tell people I'm auditioning for something or that it looks good mm. and that I might get it because I am convinced it jinxes it and makes it not happen well also I've it's only a ever thing got jobs where I've never told people that yeah it's also a thing about like people that I sound like such a toss up but people that don't know the industry um it don't <laughs> sometimes they don't get how it's like in the many like side jobs I've had mm. I learned very quickly not to tell people when what I was auditioning for and when. Because, But then if you take half a day off work, they're like, ooh, is it an audition or something big? Will I see you in it soon? And it's like, no, probably not. Like, you, But you don't want to tell them because you learn not to get too excited about each individual audition yeah, because can't. the likelihood is so is small. But people around you don't know that. And they're like, oh, my God, you're going to go to Hollywood and yeah. from one audition. And then you're fine with not getting it because you don't get them it. often um but then it makes it it's like like fucking what's it turn the knife when is that the expression twisting twist the, the knife, knife where, twisting the knife <laughs> when the guy the it guy is like oh so what happened to that thing and i'm yeah. like yes thank you yeah. steve i but luckily with skins you did get oh it. yeah 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 but then for a decade afterwards no <laughs> Anyway, um, uh, but yeah, so we got the part. Well, we thought we got the part. Waited six months. Looked like a like like idiots. And we even had uh, like these guy friends that we knew. I say friends. 
in inverted commas um but we i because of what they did um so they thought it would be funny to call me and cat and pretend to be i don't know why it was one of their friends that called us so i didn't recognize their voice wait your male friends called you and pretended pretended that it, they were like the production team at skins and that we hadn't actually <gasps> got the part and they were like but would you like maybe you'd like to be like extras at some point and i was like okay and i remember being oh, on the phone and being like gosh. oh yeah that would be nice yeah do you know what though as shit as that is of them for your sake at least it was that way around and you had actually got the part because imagine if they they pranked you and said you've got the part and you actually hadn't got the part yeah that would be worse yeah yeah i used to have like dreams when i was waiting to hear on like big jobs i used to like dream i remember this one dream once um where i was waiting on this huge job and it was for the lead and it was like apparently down to me and one other girl and they still weren't telling me and then it was the weekend so i wasn't going to find out and i was asleep and i dreamed that they gave her the other gave the other girl the part and, but they offered me like a bit part and I slapped the wall so hard in my sleep. Oh, I slapped it. Woke who were you, were you, who were you slapping in the dream? No, I was just hitting like the wall. Oh, you, frustration. Okay. okay. Um, and sure. I was lying on my left side a, a, along a wall and I just hit the wall so hard. It woke me up and I was like, fuck this. I've, yeah. And then I found out the next day I did not get the part and they wouldn't even offer me a bit part. Oh. So, so yes, we got the taste of what it would be like to not get the part. And then by the time I'd fully accepted we didn't get the part, they were like, oh, yeah, you've got it. Yeah. Why did they take so long? I don't, I get, I think, I don't know. I think they were like, great, we've, because I guess twins we, are hard to come by. Them, but th- we're just not going to tell them. Mm. I don't, maybe they didn't, oh, maybe they were like, maybe we'll find someone better. They tried and they did not. So I don't know. Um, but so, yeah, so we got There's the part. a limited number of twins. That, well, that's the th- yeah. Um, <laughs> so then we we got the part and then we had like, oh, no, we, before we got the part, we had a day where everyone went up to Bristol yeah. and we did like screen well, tests and stuff. I've heard about yeah. this. And you didn't come. And no, that's why I was I... like, the people I'm going to work with are on this coach. Yeah. Fine. Luke was there. Was there a few Naomi's? God, um, there must have been. But I've, I've, I've felt like, oh, these people are going to fucking hate me because they've been auditioning for six months for this part. I got a call a week before filming literally started to audition. So I didn't have to go through like half a year mm. of waiting and wanting mm. I was so lucky because the process lasted a week, and then I felt really guilty. Yeah, but I, don't, I feel well, like it's not my fault. I was going to say like that is the the six month thing is 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 harsh. It's very harsh. Very, very harsh. It's very harsh. Um, but where's that from? Uh, bag of chips, isn't it? Very harsh. Very very harsh. <laughs> um, but then yeah, so I because I didn't see you on that coach, I was like, oh okay. It must be one of these girls that's Naomi. Mm-hmm. And then we had that cast dinner. Like, yeah, we got, we went up to Bristol like a week before we started filming or something or a few days mm. to do like bonding. And, um, and you were there and I was like, I Who's saw you at no! the offices. No, yes, I saw you at the I offices. I saw you both at the offices and I was drinking Lemsip out of a leaking thermos 
I don't remember that. But I remember being like, oh shit, that's the girl from the um from hi. my drama. Yeah, but I'm I was so awkward. I was like, oh god, like I ho- I literally was like, I hope she doesn't get it because that's gonna be so awkward because she thinks I hate her and she's really scary. And like I was like, I don't want to have to like deal with being like, oh, I thought I, you hated me. I just remember all I remember about seeing you two in the reception was for some reason in my head it made it less likely that I'd get the part because I was like, what are the chances? Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. Me and these two girls that I know will end up in a cast of what eight? Like the the, the so chances weird. are so small. I was like, oh, I'm not getting the part. And then I I think I remember saying to you both, probably in an extremely awkward way, as you were already halfway out the door, going, ah, oh, imagine if we'll get it. I do think that rings a bell for yeah. me. But, but you were already like, bye. <laughs> <laughs> so awkward, and I could barely talk. I had like tonsillitis and my mum had been like right just fill up this thermos with lem sip and just sip it sip it sip it sip it and just sip it right up until you got to do your lines and then sip it again so I was in the waiting room with loads of people going for Merv's part and so everyone in there was like oh I'm going for Thomas I'm going for Thomas I'm going for Thomas Mm. and then I was just there sipping on my lem sip nice going Nice. But then, yeah, then you came to the cast dinner, like, the a few days before what? we started filming. And I was like, fuck. Like, we no, not like, oh, fuck, I don't... But I just couldn't believe, like, of all the people... They did open auditions across the UK. Like, of all the people in the UK... I know. We went to the same little drama London class. Club. Yeah. Um, but that day where I had to come to the cast dinner, you lot had already met like a yeah, few days yeah, before. Yeah. I turned up on my own. I'd got the part that day. I'd done an A-level. I'd got out of the A-level. I was standing at a bus up with my friends. I hadn't told anyone that I was auditioning for this part. I got the call from the casting director saying it's yours at the bus stop. Then I turned to all my friends, like tatting everyone, and I was like, uh, I got part in Skins. And they were like, what's that? <laughs> And then they were like, oh, I'm going to have to watch it now, isn't it? And I rang my mum and my mum was like, what are you talking about? What, in a good way, though? In a good yeah, way, yeah, yeah. I just hadn't told anyone. And she was like, and I was like, yeah. Well, you didn't tell your mum you were going up? No, I didn't tell my mum I was auditioning. I didn't tell anyone. And I had no idea about all of my neurodiversities Which we then, will, we will get to. Which we will get to. It was... It, it oh was God. so... I get this thing, right, where you've been waiting for something that's this amazing for so long and you've wanted it so badly and then you get there and you're like, why aren't I really, really happy? Mm. Like, I should be jumping for joy, but I want to cry and go home. But sometimes it's your brain trying to protect you a bit from... that You almost don't want to believe that something really good has happened. So you went on to... Did you have quite consistent work after? No, I wouldn't say so. I'd, I think the year between the two seasons, well, it wasn't really a year, was it? It was like six months between the first and I second season. Remember. I didn't do anything. Yeah. I think for like the year after, I didn't really... I think that was the process of sort of getting a new agent mm-hmm. and meeting casting directors. Like you go mm-hmm. for a lot of generals. Mm-hmm and try and make a good impression on them. Which is hard when you have an undiagnosed... Yes. Um, what, what's it called? Condition? Yeah, it's hard when you have an undiagnosed condition, which 
holds you back from sometimes being able to uh, conversate normally mm-hmm. with strangers. So I thought, because me and you have this in common, our hot topic would be neurodiversity. Now, I, in the last two years, got, I think it was two years, maybe a year and a half ago, um, I've suspected I had ADHD for a long time. Um, but then I finally, like, actually went and got diagnosed a year and a half ago um i went privately because unfortunately on the nhs it is very difficult as a woman to get diagnosed with adhd you actually had a different experience which i'm makes i'm pleased about Mm. but um i know a lot of people have had difficulty with the nhs but we then discussed adhd and then do you want to talk about your experience with adhd and how you came to think about maybe it affected you too from you (laughs) i mean i didn't want to say it not to put words in your mouth but you're welcome so it's funny because i like when you were dying i remember when you got diagnosed and around the same time i like you got diagnosed i was like oof, yeah that's great i definitely don't have adhd like hearing like what adhd is like that's just not me like i'm cool like i can just like i definitely don't have that and then over the last year of living together learning from you and um just learning generally that adhd is not just a hyperactive little boy kicking chairs over it's so much more it affects you in so many different ways it can affect you in one way or another way or both Mm -hmm. and from just learning that it can affect social skills uh dopamine levels executive function all of those things started to just sound i I think i sent you a meme once um on instagram or maybe it wasn't a meme it was just like a picture but it said wait let me think how did it go because it was so funny do you know what i'm talking about you gotta give me a bit more i'm afraid (laughs) (laughs) it's like either people with adhd need to stop talking or I need to go to the doctor. Something like that. A meme that I sent you made you think perhaps. No, I sent me- it to you. You sent me. Because it was like, it was someone who'd been reading all this stuff about ADHD, realising they had all of those things and realising I need to go to the fucking doctor because I've definitely got ADHD. Yeah. But in a funny way. But it, but it, you're right how it's so misconceived and that's mm. why I know so many women that, that got diagnosed very late in life mm. or haven't been diagnosed yet but are very sure mm. but the problem is the way th- neurodiversity like presents in women or um <clears throat> or just not men like it, it affects everybody differently but often the way society is is that women are often taught that like just fit the fuck in like don't be different mm-hmm. don't um just shut up mm-hmm. like just do as you're told and so a lot of the time i watch men there's absolutely no excuses but yeah p- particularly like you know, middle-class white men where I'm like, yeah, of course. They're like, you don't need a diagnosis. It's fine. You know who you are. And I'm like, yeah, but I can sometimes see some men where I'm like, I think you are neurodiverse, Mm. but it doesn't, I, unfortunately, you are allowed to be quirky and say what you want and like, 
like be direct. I also have recently been diagnosed with autism Mm -hmm. and a lot of the things that come with that people can assume means that you're rude or you you not a very nice person not interested interested, no empathy Mm -hmm. like because you're direct but then often you see those same traits being exemplified in men Mm -hmm. and the people are like oh he's assertive oh he gets what he wants or oh he's quirky he's hard to work with but he's great and it's like doesn't suffer fools yeah doesn't suffer my nan has always said that about me and I was like yeah I like that expression but like other people would take that as she's difficult to work with. Mm-hmm. Like, and so sometimes I'm a bit like, mm, yeah, no wonder women not only don't notice that they're neurodiverse, they also, even if they do notice, they're, they're so they're so taught that you just fit in, make it work, fit in, that you are so used to masking and you've learned so well the like social script and what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And every day is exhausting because not only are you doing your regular work that neurotypical people do, but you also are like learning the script of like okay what do I have to say now oh someone's talking to me I'm so tired oh I have to pull this expression oh my god and then you get burnt out and that's why I think diagnosis is important a lot of the time because to be even for yourself to be like it's okay that I feel exhausted because I I'm so tired from doing this and not being like, get up why can't you do this everybody else can do this why can't you do it that diagnosis for me is it was such a relief. Like I remember telling my family and I was like, and they were like, oh, how do you feel? Like um, being told you've been this way your whole life and you never knew. And I just said, do you know what? I'm so relieved because I've always known there was something, but I always thought it was my fault. Mm -hmm. And I always just thought I was a bit shit and I was a bit this and a bit that and that everyone else was sort of part of this collection of they had the handbook they had the handbook they were all part of the world I always felt like I wasn't quite part of this world I always felt like I was on the outside and it was my fault for not being like everyone else Mm -hmm. I've always thought it was my fault and just to have a psychiatrist tell me it's not your fault Mm -hmm. this is how your brain works when I was with the, in the session with the psychiatrist, I got, like, my eyes filled with tears because it's like, fucking hell, this has been so hard for so long and I could never quite explain it to people and people never really understood that I wasn't just a difficult person or a lazy person or... Rude or... Rude or, like, um, just, just kind of annoying, maybe. Mm-hmm to a lot of people like people would encourage me to like oh you should do this you should see your friends more you should go away more and I'm like but I don't want to you should get rid of all distractions and work in like a really closed room with no distractions and that'll definitely help you work like yeah just get noise cancelling headphones my brain and I'm like no no because then I can hear everything going on inside my head but yeah the diagnosis is hugely important for me personally to know that there's a reason there are days where I cannot sit in my chair and get any work done. There, are, There is a reason why I cannot get out of the house. When I used to, um, I used to, way before I even started thinking I had ADHD, I used to try and go swimming, right? Mm-hmm. And some days I would pack a bag, 
I'd have lunch prepared for when I got home, everything organised, done, ready. I'd then be stuck in the house for five hours before I could get out and actually go swimming. Mm. And I just was like, I'm a fucking lazy shit. Mm. I'm a piece of shit. Mm -hmm. Why can't I get out of the house? Why am I stuck Mm. inside? But also, I guess when you know for sure that that is what you have, Mm. you can also then start researching it and learning about yourself. So like learning about the fact that people with ADHD have, I think, have like much lower dopamine levels. Mm. And dopamine is a thing that is that I'm going to get science people telling me I'm wrong, but I believe uh, neuro uh, dopamine is involved in the neurotransmitters that make you do like go your motor. Yeah, yeah, go like Mm. do this thing. So if you don't have it, like getting out of bed in the morning doing like changing from one situation to another situation like getting out of a situation you're currently in like literally like getting out Mm -hmm. is so difficult and then you get these people calling you lazy Mm -hmm. or not understanding and it's like because you can't see it's an it's not an illness but it's it's something that you can't see visually yeah and there are all these socially constructed things that like women who are blunt or women who say what they think they're difficult and whatever it just makes you seem like oh, i'm just a horrible person i'm just shit like nobody mm-hmm. i'm just like yeah no wonder people don't like me mm-hmm. i keep talking i can't shut up i overshare i do all this stuff but when- i can't wait for someone to finish their sentences i was in a zoom meeting i mean i just did it to you so i'm i apologize but i was in a zoom meeting like last month and i literally was holding my lips together mm-hmm. so that to stop me from interrupting them but it's also because we that is another that's the interrupting is part of the fact that we like get excited and like really we're involved and it's not because we're rude it's just because we're excited and also the um is it short-term memory processing where like I find it very hard um to hold information in my head so if I've had a thought and I know this person is going to keep talking I can't concentrate on what they're saying because I'm like I'm going to forget my next point I'm going to forget I want to listen but I'm going to forget so I might as well say it and then I can listen to you but that's not really that's not how conversation works so sometimes it helps me like to just like write a note or something but then if you're on your phone typing a note you seem like you're rude Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I do hope that people listening, um, especially people who don't have the male experience, um, feel like it's okay to think, you know, maybe this is me and go to their doctors and talk about it, do some research. Something that really helped me was the meme pages, literally, because mm-hmm. I it's hard for me to concentrate on large chunks of text. But if I see a meme <laughs> that I really relate to, I've been like, oh, fuck, there's a whole world of people out Mm -hmm. there who think the same as i do um i think it's so much more common than people know as well because um it's it's so so undiagnosed but i will say this i went through my nhs gp and there is this thing called the right to choose which i believe is a uk program for adhd diagnoses Diagnoses. <laughs> Diagnoses. Um, and so you basically you ring up your GP and you go, I think I've got um, ADHD. And they ask you why for some examples. Um, and you can tell them or they might already know about this right to choose scheme, which then puts you on a waiting list. And I was incredibly surprised at how fast the process ended up being. How and fast was it? Because when I originally... Where are we in the year? It's June. When I was originally thinking about it, my NHS... The reason I went private was because the NHS doctor was like, 
I was waiting and then I called up the clinic and I was like, am I on the list? I haven't been called and it's been like a month. And they were like, a yeah, month. the waiting <laughs> list is between uh, 12 and 18 months. So and they I was said like, that to me, but mine ended up, I'm pretty sure, being about six to seven months. That's still a while. But to me, that went really fast. And it was like, oh, I've gone 31 years without having a diagnosis. I can wait another year. Yeah. It's worth it for me. Yeah, it's it's difficult because I know some people, They only the only reason they like really go for diagnosis is because they're at their wits end and they just mm. need. So, and that's yeah. the thing, like private diagnosis for ADHD is much less expensive than private diagnosis for autism, which is yeah. very up, very annoying because it's very difficult ADHD there is medication and that you can take that could help but I think diagnosis mentally does help a lot of people Mm -hmm. but autism you know I think my ADHD private diagnosis I think in total cost like the assessment was 360 quid and then you pay for the medication for a few months until you find the right type and right dose and then you transfer it to your GP and then you can get it for the GP price but it's still you're not going to cost you like 500 quid all in all which is insane but autism diagnosis is like minimum I mean I managed to get (laughs) I managed to get mine half price because I let them film the the diagnosis interview so they could use it to teach other people how to diagnose autism which obviously lots of people with autism are not going to be comfortable with someone it's a very private like thing um but it's like over two grand normally to get and that's just crazy to me because how much undiagnosed autism and ADHD can affect your life is huge and the fact that it's a it's made out to be a privilege to even have the right to know and people will say oh well there's no medication so what's the point and it's Mm. like well yeah some people that I know self-diagnose and that that has worked for them and that's all they need and that should be accepted in like the great the wider society however for me um I guess it depends on like the type of support network you have because I know a lot of people or I just had a feeling that a lot of people I would tell I think I'm autistic would be like well you don't look like what autism is portrayed like in the media Mm -hmm. so therefore you're probably lying or like probably attention seeking and I didn't have like I I don't believe (laughs) I don't I don't have the like supportive family network mm. that I feel like I could say to them, listen, I believe this. And they'd be like, well, we love you. We support you and we'll be there for you. So I was like, you know what? Like you said, a fucking psychiatrist whose profession is to diagnose this mm-hmm. thinks the same as me. So fuck off. I'm I, right. I think it's really interesting how many people think that they have a right to argue with you about what's going on inside your head and I've sort of come to the conclusion recently I can just see you smiling and shaking your head I've come to the conclusion that unless you are my psychiatrist or you are inside my head this is not up for discussion yeah because this is a very sensitive subject masking plays such a huge role in in particular women's behavior who are neurodiverse that when you finally done all this i mean people would think you're just saying it off the cuff and on a whim when yeah obviously you know yourself you've always been inside your own head you've probably done a shitload of research and been thinking about it for years mm-hmm. you've spoken to people about it you've referred to your 
uh, to childhood memories with your parents and your siblings, mm-hmm. you've gathered a lot of fucking evidence. And it is a very difficult thing to tell maybe a friend or a family member, hey, I think I'm going to go for... Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and work um, get a diagnosis and and see if I am or if I'm not for th- for that person to then turn around and say no you're not it's like who the fuck mm-hmm. do you think you are yeah you don't understand how difficult that is for people to come out and say I think I might have this and this is why I've been struggling since I can fucking remember I'm just really good at covering it up yeah that's the thing you get really good at the society tells you cover up cover up fit in fit in then you're like fuck okay i'll do it i'll learn okay oh my god you spend and all it your energy second nature yeah. it's still exhausting but you, it does but, become second nature and so even close friends of yours can can be like but you're no, not like that you don't. Yeah. no you don't and i do kind of get it like they don't want you to put yourself through anything unnecessarily that's where they're coming from they're not coming from a bad space mm-hmm. But I think they just haven't thought about how sensitive this thing is and how well you really do know yourself. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it's also the thing and with, that you're not an idiot and you have done a, a yeah a hell of a lot of research. And yeah, s- s- you know. Yeah. And and the thing is, like the a lot of the time when I've when when I was thinking about it, I would tell people they were like, no, no, you're not like almost in the vein of like don't put yourself down i know no, like and it's I'm a like, bad thing and i get that because we've been taught it's that these not things are not a positive thing yeah most people i've spoken to have been like no you're not most people yeah. i will say and the the thing that annoys me is that the the main reason that i mean <clears throat> i'm much more worried about talking about not worried but just it makes me more nervous to talk about autism being autistic because I know so many people will have an idea of what autism is in their head and I don't fit it and therefore that can't be true Mm -hmm. and the reality is it's a spectrum and there are so many different types of how it presents and different needs within that spectrum Mm -hmm. that just because you know one person with autism you don't know autism inside and out and and it presents so differently yeah in females yeah and the reason that a lot of people don't females the the, the female lions (laughs) um the female of the species um, moisten. Yeah, the the reason that a lot of people don't come out and talk about it is because they are so terrified of somebody telling them that their reality is not their reality. Mm. They are incorrect about their own reality. And then if you go and um, fulfill that prophecy, like then you're validating someone's insecurity that no one will believe them. Mm-hmm. So advice for people who know people who have come to you or haven't yet and maybe someone and maybe say to you you know I think I might be on the spectrum I think I might have autism I think I might have ADHD anything like that them sharing that with you even if they even if they seem confident that is probably terrifying it's like them taking off their mask to you and like if you don't know much about it that's fine lots of people don't know anything about it and how it presents I still don't know loads about it exactly exactly but don't please do not say to that person or behind their back that you that you don't think that that's what they have or try and diagnose them like you don't know their 
that you don't know their life you even if they're their closest friend you don't know inside their brain and you you invalidating their experience is worse than you saying nothing um so yes if you take anything away from this episode please if someone comes to you and tells you that they are looking into neurodiversity and they think they might be neurodiverse even if you think that's absolutely incorrect that is damaging to say that to them so don't do it just go home because do your no own one, research no one should have to prove themselves to anyone else really yeah and also i think people are a lot more willing to accept that guys and boys are on the spectrum than they are when one of their girl mates comes and 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 suggests it i think we're so ready to accept that a guy is somewhere on the spectrum people seem to not be willing to accept it about women it's like you have to jump through way more hoops and then to 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 prove not that you should have to fucking prove yourself to anyone but people i don't know people are less people are more forgiving of men yeah for everything also pretty we, much but especially when it comes to being on the spectrum people seem to just be take it uh, just accept it more easily mm-hmm. for some reason mm-hmm. i think because it's always been like there's so little known about autism in particular it was so we get the worst of both worlds we get told by life that you better fucking mask pretend you're normal pretend you're normal quote unquote then we do it we're like fuck okay yeah let me do it and then we are like fuck you know what i think i've been pretending my whole life let me get to the root of this and let me sort this out and people go no you're excellent at pretending like no you're not really like that because so you've done the really hard work and you've pretended to be like a quote unquote normal person all this time. And then because you've done it so well, you don't get to get the diagnosis that you so desperately need. Yeah. So yes, it's it's a shit show. I've done a lot of things, done a lot of jobs, learned a lot of things the hard way. So I'm trying to share it with an audience so that they don't have to make the same stupid mistakes that I've made. So is there anything that you think in your life that you'd like to share that you wish you knew or that you wish other people knew? My advice I would give you is that you're going to meet a lot of people who sound really confident and sound like they know what they're talking about. 99% of them don't. They don't. They don't know what they're talking about. And they'll try and convince you that they do. And and, and, and and you'll believe them because they sound so confident. You can do the same thing. Yeah. You can also put on a confident voice and pretend. Moving on from our life hacks, we give some life advice um, or just general terrible advice to people that have submitted questions. It's quite a it's quite a nice one to go through and quite good for people who are maybe in their early 20s or any, any age really, but it, it's quite a good one. Um, so we've got, an anonymous uh, question from someone who says that they don't know how to make friends in college um, because they don't know anyone and they're getting lonely and they f- they don't know how to make new friends as an adult. What would your advice be to them? I think remain yourself at all times because if you have to change to fit in with a certain group or a certain person, they won't actually be liking you anyway. But we're possibly not the right people to ask because me and Meg spend a hell of a lot of time with our own company and we very much enjoy it. What about you? I would say 
knowing yourself is key to this because like you said you'll meet good people if you know who you are if you're pretending or you're trying to fit Mm -hmm. into another group you won't meet people that are right for you Mm -hmm. um i also think about this one again it's it's quite a privileged answer because all of this depends on i guess finances and time but if you have a hobby or if you if you really don't know how to meet people you know finding something you're interested in like a hobby like pottery or like any of these middle class (laughs) pursuits um (laughs) but if you can find like a dance class or something that can get you doing things um then you can find like a community around that Mm. and people with the same interests and then you've already got a shared interest that you can start the conversation with because yeah I find it very hard to make new friends because I hate doing that like social dance the small talk yeah I can't do it uh, when I started secondary school I had no friends for a long time and I finally found my friends. When I started Skins, I had no friends and eventually you do just, as long as you remain true to yourself, you will just fall into the right relationships. But don't worry, it hasn't happened yet because it didn't happen. It never happens for me for for ages. Mm. Um, But it does happen eventually. And people that you think seem like they've got all the friends in the world and they're Mm. popular Mm. doesn't always mean that they're close, very close, good friends that they can share things Mm. with. Some people who are the most popular feel very, very lonely. The loudest in the room is the 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 most uncomfortable. Yeah, usually. Yeah. Mm. So that's our advice for that. Um, I, I will be getting to... There were so many that we got written in that were great. So I want to cover them in future episodes. Um, but yes, Lily, it has been an absolute pleasure to oh, have you, you on the podcast today. It's been today. an honour to be your first guest. Is there anything that you would like to plug? What are you doing now? Where can our listeners find you? Oh, so right now I'm concentrating on a few projects screenwriting-wise. We... Uh, we have a few projects that are up and coming and we mm, I'm not allowed <laughs> very exciting stuff I'm not allowed to talk about it <laughs> where can we find you um uh, nowhere I like to keep a low profile <laughs> okay that's useless for me um Instagram what's your Instagram uh I think it's Lily M Loveless okay um so you can't find her um you can't find me it's a it's a challenge look for her and if you find her then whatever um okay lily yeah thank you so much for coming thank you it's been a pleasure i'll see you later on in the flat yeah Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Really Good Exposure with me, Megan Prescott, and my guest, Lily Loveless. If you want to find me online, you can go to Instagram. I'm at at Megatron, which is like the robot, but with an extra R. So it's M-E-G-A-R-T-R-O-N. On Twitter, I'm Meg underscore Prescott. I got in there early with Twitter. And you can find me on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash Megan Audition. An interesting one there. If you have any questions that you'd like to send in to me to advise you on, please send them in via DM to my Instagram at Megatron, M-E-G-A-R-T-R-O-N. And I will answer the ones that I think I could give the worst advice on. I'm just kidding. I'll give you some very good advice. Thanks so much for listening again and uh, see you later. Tune in next time.